So we've been in, um, we've been talking about life together here at Woven ever since this, this fall season. And we did this, we chose this series because especially as we're really, I find, settling into this Kingdom City experiment. Um, by the way, I was at the Wednesday night prayer meeting last, last Wednesday and it took place in this room. It was incredible. Um, I'm not trying to sell it now. Um, the, the house was packed out with six different congregations. There were prayers in Swahili, in French, in Tagalog, English, Spanish. Um, it was amazing. And it was freeing. And you might be wondering, I don't know if I fit in that environment, you know. Um, I don't know if I fit, but here's the thing. The, the thing about community is... When we're looking for community, when we're looking for a place to fit, many times it's right underneath our noses. And when we learn the story of somebody, when we learn and we just sit down over a cup of coffee and take the time to listen, we find this is community. It's not this far-off thing I'm searching for. This is community right here. And so we started this Life Together series really to help us um, situate ourselves to kind of help us to kind of find our place in this larger Kingdom City community. You know, this chapel, they've given us um, free usage of it. Not free. I mean, we, we, we still pay. But the thing is, they've given us unmitigated use of this chapel. They say, you, you, you're in charge of cleaning it and taking care of it. And with that tremendous, owner, with that tremendous ownership, you know, um, gives us a chance to grow as a church. It gives us a chance to really do our community building, um, to really feel at home in this space, to grow our community in the context of this larger community. And so that's, that's what this series is about. Um, last week, as we were talking about community life, we started talking about something else. We started talking about work. And so what I'd like to do today is expand on that conversation about work. Because community, the thing about community is we can't just be together all the time, 24-7, seven days a week, just singing Kumbaya. We have to go out there, and we have to live in the real world. We have to do real work. And so what I want to talk about today is I want to expand on this and talk about work. And if you look in your bulletin, there are three headings. There are three headings. And um, in order to help us talk about community, we've been going through this book called Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Life Together, it's, um, it's a great book. We're somewhere right now in between pages 69 and 71. So if you're wondering where we're coming from, and, and I, I like to talk about this because Bonhoeffer is talking about some really deep stuff. I, I know when we started off in chapter 1, people were coming to me and saying, yes, that's exactly what we need to hear. Community... Um, Community oftentimes is right underneath our noses. It's, it's not just about me and getting my needs met. Community is where we are faithfully planted. So today, in, in these few pages in, in Life Together, Bonifer is talking about some really deep stuff. And I wanted to kind of extrapolate this. And the three headings in your notes, if you look in your notes, those three headings are, first of all, self. The second one is it. And the third is thou. And um, you're like, what in the world are we talking about? What does that mean? Self, it, and thou is a journey. That's what it is. Think of it as a journey. And Bonifer talks about this. It's a journey where we start within myself. And then, from the self, we focus on something other than myself, the it, something objective, 
So it's not me, it's an it. But through the it, we're able to see God. We're able to go to the thou. So we start from self, but then secondly, we move to an it, something other than myself, anything but me. And then we move from that it to the thou, to God. We're able to see God. That's the three headings for our talk today. And what I'd like to do is put that into direct conversation with Scripture. You see, when I was reading Bonifer, uh, these few pages, 69 to 71 in this book, Psalm 73 kept coming back to my mind. Psalm 73, I think, really represents it. It well describes this passage from self to it, and then to the thou. Psalm 73. So that's what we're going to do as we make our way through these three headings is read Psalm 73. I'm going to read the entirety of that chapter in Psalms, but I'm going to go verse by verse so you can track with me. So let's start right away on this first heading, self, and talk through Psalm 73 as we start at verse 1. Verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Truly God is good to Israel. Pause. We'll stop right there. Truly God is good to Israel. Enough said. We can stop the sermon and go home. God is good. That's it. It's all there. What you have in that one phrase is a truth statement. What we have here is something called a proposition. God is good. The subject is God. He is good. If you know logic, a little bit about logic, you can take the is and swap it out for an equal sign. God equals good. So, plain and simple, a truth statement. Do you believe it? Amen. We believe God is good. There's another truth statement, the second half of verse 1. In verse 1, truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. So we have a second truth statement here. Two truth statements together. God is good if your heart is good, if your heart is pure. In other words, if you are a good person, then you will experience God as good. If you are a righteous person, if you live uprightly, then you will experience God as good. So you have truth statements there. You can even negate that and say, if you are not, uh, uh, if you are not good, if you are wicked, then you will experience God as not good to you. So there's that basic truth statement. Now, that's the end of the sermon. We can pack our things, take the offering, and go home. But there's more. Thankfully, there's more. Because any human being that lives long enough on the face of this earth will eventually get to verse 2. But God is good, and He rewards those who are faithful. And it's as simple as that. But something happens. We get to a point in our life where we start to wonder, is God good? We turn that around. Instead of saying, God is good, all of a sudden we're switching that truth statement to say, is God good? And we see in verse 2, if you look at verse 2, but even though God is good, for me, as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. How many of you know what that feels like? Just blink at me. <laughs> How many of you know what it feels like? My feet are slipping. I thought God was good. Why is this happening? 
Well, the next natural question to ask is, what happened? Like, dude, what's going on? What, what's going on in your life? What happened? What is happening? And for this, we can look at verses 3 to 12. Verses 3 to 12, we see a lot of things happening. It says in verse 3, I'm going to go ahead and just read all of these passages. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. Hang on, back up for a second to verse 7. These fat cats, I want to make sure we're reading from the NLT today, the New Living Translation. What a good translation. These fat cats have everything that they've ever wanted. You know what this reminds me, before I read the rest of these, these, these statements, um, this reminds me of a magazine cover I saw several years ago, many years ago actually. And I know that some of you may have heard me share this analogy, this story before, but it, it, I think it perfectly captures what, what the psalmist is saying here. It perfectly captures. And this magazine cover, um, it was the cover of Ink Magazine, Ink um, not the tattoo magazine, but this was incorporated magazine. So it was a business magazine. And on the cover of this magazine was this guy um, who just kind of had a really geeky smile. Like, you know, he's, he's on the cover and he's surrounded by all of these really beautiful women. And he's standing inside of his penthouse apartment on the highest, you know, condominium in Vancouver, Wash, uh, Vancouver, Canada, rather. Very expensive. And I'm looking and I'm thinking, okay, what did he do that's so great? And I read the article and it turns out that he's a tech entrepreneur. Tech entrepreneur. And what he basically did was he just on a whim decided to start a dating website. So he starts a dating website and within two months he rakes in a million dollars through Google AdSense. So this is really the consummate picture of the person who makes a lot of money um, just spending two hours a day checking his stats, you know, and somehow makes enough money so that he can live in the highest building and live, uh, purchase the most expensive condominium. And his, his website turns out to be the top 10 visiting that year. But, you know, when you, when you start a dating website, it's not really that hard to get traffic. I mean, for those of you that have ever done social media buzz, there are a few things that really sell quite easily. Well, he uses his techniques, and he gets to the top, and he just checks his stats two hours a week. Was it two hours a week? Two hours a day. Two hours a day, millionaire. He's got everything going for him. Just something about that. You know, as I read this article, I don't know if you feel it as I'm talking about it. But for me, as I hear this, I'm like, that's so unfair. That's so wrong. There's something about that that's so backwards. Is God just? How can such things happen? You know, there are worse websites that can be made and rake in even more money. What justice is is there in that? God is good. But then we suddenly find ourselves asking the question, is God good? So listen to the psalmist as he continues in verse 8. These people, they scoff. They speak evil. They're making fun of God. Christian, why should I be a Christian? I can get to the top of the world on my own. 
In their pride, they crush others. They boast against heaven. Their words strut throughout earth, and the people are are dismayed and confused because they're drinking in all these words. What does God know, they ask, and does the Most High even know what's happening? And finally, in verse 12, in Hebrew, the word that starts us off, uh, which means behold, behold these people. Look at the wicked, is what it says, enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. This is why the psalmist gets stuck in his head. Is God really good? And we begin to question and ask really hard things. And he continues, the psalmist continues in verse 13, Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. Every morning brings me pain. I know that for some of us in this room, this is is a time of year that could be really, really difficult for workers. Um, It could lead to a lot of disgruntled people because it's bonus season. And... I think I'm getting it as I hear your stories. The thing about bonus season is it's, it's, you're not after more money. It's not so much that you're like, how come I'm, I didn't get more money? As I'm understanding it, you're feeling your value based on your bonus. So if you get a bonus and you poured your heart and soul into the company and that you notice somebody else who is not doing the same amount of work and just kind of just flippantly does their job, but they get a bigger bonus, then you're really struggling. I mean, am I understanding that correctly? Or is that kind of a misunderstanding of what the real world is like? And so maybe what happens is Monday morning, just like the psalmist says, morning brings me pain because you don't want to go back to work. And you wake up in the morning and you're saying, why should I get out of bed today? Why should I pour all of my labor for people who don't even recognize what I'm doing? Why should I put all of my work when not only my company is broken, but the boss is doing some things that I just don't agree with? Why should I get out of bed and work when the economy is broken and the economy is leading my company to act this way? Why should I get out of work because really it's all the fault of the government. It's those Republicans or those Democrats and the politics are all messed up and the welfare system and everything and this is that. Why should I get out of bed because all the jobs are going to this or that country or people are taking it away? Why should I get out of bed because globalization is a real problem? Why should I get out of bed today? That's the question. Every morning brings me pain is what the psalmist says. Every morning I don't want to get out of bed, especially if it's Monday. I remember when I was in in my early 20s, I was old enough to not have homework anymore. So I know that the youth group is in here. There will come a day, you're going to have to wait about a decade, you won't have any homework, any more homework. So I was old enough not to have any more homework, um, but I was young enough... to not have family responsibilities yet. So I was young enough to not have to 
you know, put the children down. Like, I could stay out as late as I want, and Sunday afternoon was completely free. And so with my friends, after church on Sundays, what we would do is we would, um, we would go out to lunch. And then after that, nobody wanted to go home, so we would go out for a movie. And then after the movie, we'd say, anybody want to grab dinner? And then we would grab dinner. And after that, we would grab dessert. And then we would catch a second movie. And then we would go out. You know, in Korean, there's a word for this. It's like, ilcha, yicha, samcha, sacha. It's basically just having, you know, never-ending events. Why? Because nobody wants to go home. Nobody wants to go to work. And we're like, hey, I have to tell you something. You're going to work tomorrow. And, oh, man, why did you have to remind me? So we try to drag out the weekend warrior thing. Because every Monday morning, it brings me pain. And really, we can lie in bed and say, these are all the reasons why I shouldn't get out of bed. Because the company is bad. All of these things are bad. But friends, what I want to share with you, the message that I have, the message that I have is in the end, no one is going to make you get out of bed. You're not children. Well, some of you are. But when you're a big kid, no one's going to make... Donald Trump is not going to knock on your door with hot coffee and say, time to stimulate the economy. Come on. No one's going no no to move you. You could. You could stay in bed. Not only could you stay in bed, but you might be right. A lot of the criticisms, a lot of the concerns you have about the world, about your company, I'm not saying you're wrong. But in the end, ultimately, Getting up out of bed is no one else's choice but yours. The decision to get out of bed is up to you. It's up to you. And you could stay in bed or you could step up to the plate. I mean, if I can use another analogy, I know this is really a sore spot. This is a really sore spot for us here in Houston. Um, just to be fair, when I was in, when I was in L.A., um, I preached at a service while I was out there. And I was able to rub it in a little bit. <laughs> I said, you know what God is like? The story of God is kind of like winning the World Series. And that went over well. So listen, listen, friends. Let's use our baseball analogy here. You know, it's kind of like, let's say you're a baseball player at shortstop. And, you know, you're really having a hard day. The first ball that's hit is a hard line drive coming directly at shortstop and takes a bad hop, pops you in the mouth. Oh, my goodness. How often does that? Second ball popped up in the air, and you're losing it in the sun. You're kind of losing. You can't see it, right? And then hits you in the noggin. The third ball, it comes right into your glove, and you're like, I got this one. But then you overthrow it. You overthrow it, and then there's this extra innings. It just is really bad. In between innings, you're sitting down. You're sitting down, and you're like, this, this is like the worst day ever. And you've got this teammate, and he's like, yeah, that's all right. You know, everybody's got bad days. Everybody's got bad days. And then you respond, no, 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 this isn't just a bad day. Shortstop is broken. Baseball is messed up. MLB is corrupt. The Yankees, they have too much darn money. It's all about doping. And in the end, I don't get paid enough. All of those might be true. But in the end, he says to his friend, yeah, you're right about that, but listen, there's a few more innings to go in the game. There's a few more innings. So are you going to get out there or not? Wherever you're at at work, wherever you are at on the job, you are, your, your, your assessment probably right, but there's a few more innings. 
There's a few more innings. Will you step up to the plate? That's the question. Well, what will I get out of it? Let's continue and look at the, look at the Psalms. In verse 15, we see the psalmist say, If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. And so I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. That statement, what a difficult task, that's probably the most comforting words, I think, in this whole psalm for me. Baseball's broken. The economy's broken. The globalization is a mess. All these things are happening. What a difficult task it is. What a difficult task it is. It's enough to just say, it's bigger than me. It's bigger than me. And so what we do is we get out of bed because we realize I'm not going to solve my company's problems lying in bed. I'm not going to solve my life problems lying in bed. I step up to the plate because there's nobody else that's going to pull me out of bed. You see, whether you step up to the plate or not determines if you are going to be able to step from this first heading self into the second heading the it. Your ability to step outside of yourself and get out of bed will determine your ability to move on to the second place that the psalmist gets to. The it. And the words of Bonifer here, I think, really describe this well. He says, work plunges us into the world of things. This new encounter frees us for objectivity. For the it world is just an instrument in God's hands to purify us from self-centeredness and self-seeking. In other words, what Bonifer is saying is, yeah, the world is messed up. All these things are really wrong. But in a sense, in a sense, blame, blaming is almost, there's a, there's a self-centeredness to it. The question, are you going to get out of bed or not? Well, everything's wrong with the world. What Bonifer is saying, if you get out into the world, you'll make the first step to making things right. And you'll realize that the first step to making things right oftentimes is not changing my church or changing my company or changing the economy. It's, it's changing me. It's stepping out of myself as the first step. That is the place where we begin to move to this objectivity. I'm able to move to objectivity. And that gets us to this second heading, it, it, where I'm moving away from myself to something other than me. You see, when he says in those verses 15 and 16, what a difficult task, I can't solve this, but I know this, if I had really spoken this way to other people, I would have been a traitor to your people. Here is the moment where the psalmist realizes it's not just about me, I have mouths to feed or even if you don't have mouths to feed I have responsibilities and I'll tell you a funny story when I was about 16 years old I had no responsibility and that's pretty much normal and when you have no responsibility you don't want to get out of bed and I remember I had a summer job tutoring my cousin my, my, my little cousin and I was supposed to supposed to tutor her and I did it well for the most part for the most of summer until finally one morning I said, you know, I just don't want to get out of bed. And I didn't. I didn't. 
and my aunt called me like 200 times. And then I confirmed afterwards, oh yeah, I just, I didn't get out of bed. But that's what we do when we're 16 years old. That's what we do when there is no responsibility. But the dawning of responsibility when I realize that there is something other than me out there. There's not just the self. There's something that I have to focus on and I have to be there. That's what the psalmist is saying. If I spoke this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. I have this responsibility and therefore I show up on Monday morning. You see, the breakthrough happens there. When we realize it's no longer just about the self, but it's about something other than me. Something other than me is the pathway. Listen to this. Anything other than me can be the pathway to spiritual health. If my life is only about me, I will not be able to grow deeper in my Christian journey no matter how much I love Jesus or no matter how many songs I sing. I'm stuck on the self, and I'm not able to move to something other than me. That's the it that we're talking about here. Anything but me. Anything other than me. And what's significant about this is that even if you are not paid for what you do, even if your work is not something that is gainful employment, as long as your work redirects your attention away from yourself towards it, maybe it's a child, or maybe it's some other task, it's legitimate. It's work. It's good work. Why is it good work? Because it's turned your attention away from yourself. That's the principle. That's the passage that we make away from me towards something else. That is what we call work. Anything but me. Now let's live into this second heading a little bit. It. That thing. In verse 17, the psalmist says, let's look at verse 17. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood. I got it. This is the breakthrough moment. I got the destiny of the wicked. Truly you put them on a slippery path and you send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. Something important is happening here. In verse 19, in an instant they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. Here we see that it makes sense. Order is restored back to the world. The psalmist knows how to live his life. We are reoriented away from our negativity. You know, you know what it's like when we're stuck in our own heads and we need to kind of reboot the system. The thing is, have you been able to reboot your system by just kind of keeping your computer on and just turn it? You have to reboot it. So what he's doing here is he's able to reboot the system. He's turning his focus away from himself. How does it happen? How does it happen? It happens in verse 17 by simply stepping up to the plate, by this mechanical act, one foot in front of the other. What he says is, I went. I went. Hey, buddy, did you make it to work today? No, I just wanted to kind of stay home and just take care of myself and just, you know, feel bad for myself and live in my... He went. 
Did you go to work today? I went. I didn't want to. I went. I have a friend who will remain anonymous. It's nobody here, believe me. Um, going through some really, really hard stuff in his life. Really, really hard stuff. Frankly, if I was him, I don't know if I would even be able to get out of bed Monday morning. But the guy consistently goes to his oil and gas job. He, he, he has nothing else to do. He just keeps getting out of, and he doesn't sleep. His life right now is there's so much difficulty that he's losing sleep. I mean, if I'm losing sleep, I'm a wreck. I can't get up. But he just, you know, how you doing? I call him at the end of the day. I went. I went. I went. I mean, for crying out loud, God, at least I went. Things don't make sense. I went to church. I went to work. I went. That, those two words are the beginning of health and healing. Did you get out of bed today, son, daughter? You know, it's like grown children, talking to grown children. Did you get out of bed? No, mom, I'm not going to get out of bed today. Did you get out of bed? I went. That's all it requires. Isn't that easy? It's pretty easy. I went. And in the process of going, okay, where did he go? Listen to this. Where did he go? It says, I went to the sanctuary. I went to the sanctuary. Now, we talked about this a little bit in Sunday school this morning. Sanctuary means different things. Understand this. That for the psalmist, when he says, I went to the sanctuary, it means I went to the temple. There was only one back then. It was David's temple. I went to worship is what he's saying. I went. But we Christians today do not have just one temple. We have thousands upon thousands of churches. So when we interpret this today, when we say, I went, we, what we mean is I went to church. I went to church. First, first, first thing to do, that's it. Just go to church. I went. I went, where, I went where there are other Christians. I went where there are other Christians. Hey, sweetie. I went where there are other Christians. But listen to this. I think we can take a third interpretive leap here. Because in the New Testament understanding of the sanctuary, can we not expand sanctuary to include the whole of creation? Yes or no? Isn't all of creation God's sanctuary? I mean, Jesus, he's talking to his disciples and they're walking through fields of gold and they're picking grain heads. And the Pharisees are like, you can't eat bread on the Lord's day. And Jesus is like, well, this is my house. And every day is my day. Creation is my sanctuary. So if creation is all of God's sanctuary, is it too much of a leap for us to read this as, listen, is it too much for us to say, I went into the office. Then everything made sense. I went into the office. I mean, here at Woven, we're all about sanctifying Monday to Friday. We believe that work has a spiritual significance, that you can be spiritual not just on a Sunday. That can we actually say that Monday, your office can be a sanctuary. Then I went, where? To the office. And when I was working throughout the day, I actually, things made sense. Things felt better. I felt better. And that's the thing, when I talk to my, my friend on the phone who's going through all of these difficulties in his life, when I talk to him at the end of the day, he sounds a lot better than the earlier part of the day. Nothing has changed in his life. 
but he does sound a lot better after work. Because when you go to work, you've moved yourself, removed yourself, listen to this, you've removed yourself from the self, and you focused on the it, something objective, something other than me. And as long as I'm looking at something else, I'm on the path to a better place. But when we're there, we can make the third transition to the third and last heading, thou. We're able to, through work, I believe, move beyond ourselves and access God. And Bonifer talks about this, and I think this is, this is really, um, it's pretty important, you know. The work of the world, it can be done only where a person forgets themselves. When they lose themselves in some cause, in some reality, in a task, in the world of things, in the it, in the it. But then he continues, when the Christian breaks past the it to the thou. So I'm beyond self. I'm focusing on something other than me. I'm making the donuts. I'm making the donuts. But then through making the donuts, at the end, somehow I've experienced God. The breakthrough is made. The unity of prayer and work. The unity of the day is discovered because we find behind it of the work, there is God who is thou. And this is what Paul calls praying without ceasing. When the work itself becomes a prayer. You see, you might be pushing back at me at this time and you're saying, Pastor, just give me Jesus. What, what is all this self, it, and thou? So why just from me, from me, self, to God? That's all I need. Why do we need all this other kind of philosophical talk? And really what, what Bonifer is doing here is he's using philosophical ideas. We don't need that, Pastor. We don't need all this self. It, just, just talk about Jesus and say, how do I get to Jesus? I want to talk about Jesus, but there is a problem. You. Self. Self gets in the way. How do we exercise self in order to access Jesus? Have you ever met somebody that was really difficult to be around, but then they got hot and found Jesus? And then they just became difficult Christians. You, you know what I mean? Self has not been encountered or challenged or crucified yet. And why work is important is because work in its way crucifies us. Work is the objective it. It's the thing where we're able to get beyond myself. Listen, if I was still 16-year-old Wayne, I said, I don't think I'm going to get out of bed. I'm just going to live here, and I don't, wanna, I don't have a responsibility. No, I went. I went to work. And in the process of going to work, something happens. This is the principle. This is the fill in the blank. The principle is work, it saves me. It saves me from me. That's the fill in the blank, the first fill in the blank. Work, it saves me. Well, pastor, I'm still uncomfortable. Jesus saves, only Jesus saves. Yes, Jesus saves, but sometimes you need to be saved from yourself. I need to be saved from me. And believe me, I'm not, I'm, when I say you, I'm saying that in a, in a broad sense because, you know, I include myself. I'm my own worst enemy. I need something to get me outside of myself, to stop thinking about my own, you know, the self-absorption. I think the new psychological trend is, I think they call it narcissist, narcissist, narcissistic dysfunction or something like that. 
The only way to get out of ourselves is to have something to focus on. Whether it's a spreadsheet, or whether it's the 200 emails that's waiting for you tomorrow morning, or whether it's the diapers that you have to take care of. Yes, that's work. It's, be, it's work because it gets you out of yourself. Whatever that work is, you know, I can tell you that even as a pastor, there are times where I, I have ups, I have downs, and in the down times, you know, I'm, not, I'm just not going to go to church this Sunday. <laughs> I'm not going to prepare a sermon. Oh, I have to. All right, so I get up, right, and I just start reading the text, the Hebrew, and huh, that's cool. Huh, that's interesting. By the time it's 5 o'clock, I'm like, I have a new vision for the church all this new direction, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm psyched up. That's what work does. It doesn't happen all the time, but go. At least I went. Because in the process of went, in the process of moving from the self to the it, and I'll finish with this, there is the thou. Listen to the words of the psalmist from verse 21 on, where he recognizes God, finally. Finally, the psalmist says, I realized in verse 21 that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. I was foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal, but I still belong to you. You hold my right hand and you guide me with your counsel. You lead me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? Now it becomes a prayer. He's talking to God in prayer, prose. I desire you more than anything on earth. My health it may fail, my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He's mine forever. Those who desert him will perish, and so I won't desert him. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. Listen to those prayers. I've made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. And so he moves from self to it, he's not focused on himself anymore. He's focused on an objective thing. But in it, he's able to start praying. He sees God behind it. Prayer, he breaks through to the thou. And not only that, on this last note, he ends in proclamation. I'm going to tell everybody. I'm going to tell everybody that there's a community group meeting this coming Saturday at 5 p.m. at Wayne's, Wayne's house. And free food, by the way. I'm going to tell everybody. And I'm going to invite everybody because I found Jesus because Sunday night, I was feeling really, really bad. I didn't feel good about myself. Monday morning, I went. I went. It was good. Actually, work helped me break out my spirits. And now I'm going to, I see clearly, and now I'm going to tell everybody about Jesus and bring them to church. That's how this works, right? I guess what I'm saying is that making the donuts, sending that email, taking care of your kids, working on some project, getting underneath that vehicle, looking for patterns and numbers, getting lost in an engineering schematic, engaging a client, changing the one millionth diaper. It's a prison. <laughs> or it's prayer. Especially if it gives your heart pleasure. If you find your eyes widening, huh, that's interesting. Huh, I'm not focused on myself anymore. Huh, I don't feel so depressed. It's prayer. 
It's prayer. I'm not saying that every five minutes you say, Pastor Wayne's got to pray, so I'm going to set this aside. Bonifer says that's unrealistic. It's unrealistic. We're not saying, time to pray. I'm going to pray every five minutes. Or just put, you're not going to get anything done. You're not going to get anything. What he's saying, and I think this is a good biblical and spiritual theology, what's being communicated is your work itself, the hum of it is prayer. The hum. You've discovered God behind your work. Now, here's the thing, and I'm going to close with this. How many of you feel like your work is a prayer? I don't think, honestly, anybody really raises their hand. Even I sometimes don't feel like my work is a prayer. I'm a pastor. But you know what the secret of the gospel is? Every good endeavor. The sanctuary is all of creation. Your office is a sanctuary. There are some things that really will last forever. Your work, it's meaningful. It is a prayer. See it. Recognize it as a prayer. Recognize it as a prayer. That's the last fill in the blank. That's the application. I know we're a small crowd here. Sometimes I think we should be doing a Bible study instead of you listening to me preach. But if I can offer you one bit of advice... Friends, and let's do it together. See, see what I do as a prayer, not as a prison. See what I do as a prayer, not as a prison. Because unfortunately, I don't know if there's much in the middle. I don't know if there's much middle ground there. Either it's prayer or it's a prison. And I'm just counting the days until retirement. I can cash in my, you know, whatever. If it's not prison, it's a prayer. But if it's not prayer, anything else, it's just prison. Work is a prison. And believe me, I know. I'm <laughs> that, that actually came out wrong. That's not what I meant to say. That's not what I meant to say. Believe me, I understand that work uh, might not feel very spiritual or very happy for some of you. Um, because I visit you. I see your places where I hear your stories. I understand it's hard. And I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you. You're in a difficult spot. You're in a difficult spot. You're in a difficult place in your company. But really, what I'm saying is, it, it is a prison. I agree with you. But the only other option you have is to see it as a prayer. Even raising your children, it's not a prison. I'm not a mom. So I know it's even harder for mothers. And actually, it's not, that's not always the case. You know, we, we live in an equal opportunity society. I read a Time Magazine article this week. Men in Sweden are pulling their share. They're raising their, their children. It's not a prison. It's a prayer. Maybe for the, those parents who've just had babies, if you're watching on Facebook Live, and it's like day 20 of your newborn, and you're like, wow, this is kind of hard. How many more? How many? Sorry, there's no vacation. <laughs> there's no vacation. You're going to be um, washing that baby and taking care of him for like the next eight years of your life. And then after that, you have to deal with emotional stuff and other things. So you, no vacation. And you're going to start to feel like this is a prison. It's a prayer. See it as a prayer. <laughs> Child rearing is good work. That's good work too. 
Raising your children, well, I don't go to work. I feel devalued. No. Are you focused on yourself when you take care of your kids? No. That's good. Are you focused on yourself when you're taking care of your 25-year-old kids? You, there's probably something still wrong there. But you're, you're not focused on yourself. You've moved beyond. And as long as you've moved beyond yourself to the it, you're in a better place. It's work. And through that, God will communicate with you and you can communicate to him because you, you have the thou behind the it.